Radio Le Mans, the sound of Lasave. Well, it's another beautiful day in the English countryside and I've uh, headed out to uh, one of the further reaches of the carbon fibre triangle, as I like to call this part of central England, to uh, meet up with a good old friend of RadioLamont.com and that's Bob Neville at RGN Motorsport and uh, tucked away in the English countryside here, as uh, you have been for a few years and today we've come to talk Nissan and there's no better person to talk Nissan with than you well, because you've been involved with them for oof, how many years now? Uh, well, it's just about 15 years now. Yeah. And that's run the gamut of all sorts. We know that you're involved with the, the sports car side of things now. But as we're standing outside your facility, we'll talk about the 350s and 370s in a moment. But it wasn't always that way. You were in, involved in, a, in another project altogether with them. Yeah, that's right. Um, an old time of mine, Alec Poole, was uh, the manager at Nissan Motorsport. Um, in the mid-90s, uh, I had a workshop about half a mile from this one uh, and we were doing some work for, for Nissan Motorsport um, on, on various touring car projects the sort of thing that they'd outsource and um, from there I had cut a long story short I ended up within Nissan Motorsport and was basically the team manager for their European side of racing so in other words uh, although at that moment in time it was uh, Nissan were doing extremely well in touring car racing in BTCC with RML and so on, uh, they, they were also racing on the continent, and, that, and I was team manager for that. From that, uh, there was a, a foray into the deserts, literally, not metaphorically. Yeah, but that came quite a bit later. We we raced um, touring the Nissan Primeras in things like 24 Hours of Spa in the late 90s, and but when Nissan Motorsport closed well when the didcut part closed mm. uh, i i decided to carry on uh, with my i was all, all, always freelance mm. and my company rj n rj neville limited as it was uh, it still is um so we we we, we started rjm motorsport to, to continue racing nissans and that uh, was, uh, it took you into the desert, didn't well, it? Well, it did. We, we raced touring cars for... That's a bit of a difference from, you know, plodding around Europe with the Primera and then yeah. heading off in, in, in the far reaches of the deserts of, of uh, North Africa. Yeah, we did. We, we, we had a couple of years, at least three years, racing the Primera's as RJN Motorsport. Mm. And um, we, we did really well in the FIA uh, touring cars. We won several races, six races, with Tommy Rustat driving. Yeah. Uh, and... And one day, um, Nigel Dixon and, and Alec Poole were still Nissan Motorsport then. They, they said, look, we're going to do the Dakar. And, uh, <laughs> did, you know, do you, do you want to expand a bit and, and take it on? And I, and I said, most certainly. It is a completely different... It's a unique motorsport challenge, that event, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And w w fortunately for Nissan, uh, Glyn Hall in, in, in South Africa had, had paved the way mm. and, and built, built what was effectively the prototype cars. Mm. And from there, uh, we, we took on a massive factory, um, also in Oxfordshire, a couple of miles down the road, and uh, started the Dakar project. Those cars were quite, well, quite very sophisticated racing machines because they had the, um, they're running different classes in the Dakar. I'm not sure how much people know about it, but the 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 the, 
the part of the racing that you guys were in there were full-blown race trucks, weren't they? They were full-blown race trucks going for victory. And Nissan put, put a big budget in and uh, got the very best drivers, mm. Ari Vatanen, Colin McRae, mm. Janil de Villiers. Mm. And, uh, yeah, they, they really were, were going for it. But Effectively, was that like a prototype in sports? If we brought it back to sports car racing, effectively, was that a prototype built to look something like the, the stock truck? Yeah, the first trucks were, they looked like Nissan pickups, the first ones we did, 2003. Uh, but then the, the later car, which was designed in South Africa, uh, looked just, just totally unique. And it was really just a, a, a chassis and a, and a V6 Nissan engine uh, bothered in, 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 in carbon fibre. And the V6 engine, actually, is where the link is, because the basis of that engine, remarkably... He's continued to be used today through into the 350s and subsequently the new car, the 370. Yeah, it started as a 3-litre engine in the old Maxima. Really? Yeah, which is a nice little V6 3-litre engine. Um, and people like IES developed that into racing engines um, back in the, in, in the late 90s. But, yeah, from a Nissan point of view, it, it, it appeared in the 350. Mm. And when Nissan decided that they'd had enough of Dakar... Um, Fortunately for me, the, the, the French manager in Nissan Marketing at the time said, why don't you have a go with the 350Z? Um, there, was a, there was a short conversation about racing that, that the last of the Premier is, but mm. it, it wasn't suitable, mm. really. It was too big a car. Uh, the trend was already going towards hatchbacks. Mm. And, uh, so I was even more delighted to have a go at, at developing the, the 350Z. And we'll talk about the 350 and subsequently the 370 in a few moments' time with Bob Neville of RGN Motorsport here on RadioLeMond.com. Radio Le I'm with Bob Neville of RGN Motorsport. We're talking Nissan and we're going to take a walk inside. Um, talking about the old days there reminds me, of course, that Nissan have got a rich history in motorsport because you, you mentioned the Z cars and it... 2010 is the 40th anniversary, believe it or not, of the first Nissan Zs coming around. And I think it's easy to forget that uh, Nissan have been involved in motorsport since the very early days, haven't they? Yeah, that's right. I, they, they, they had a, a really uh, uh, serious attack at uh, the East African Safari when, mm. in many ways, the East African Safari was the toughest event in the world. Mm. And I think that's one of the things that proved the Z car to be a, a, a tough, tough machine. And those uh, sort of red, black, grey, white machines are absolutely iconic. In the States, uh, talking to guys when I'm over there for the American Le Mans series, the small Datsuns, as they were, yeah. 240s, um, those cars are absolutely revered. And the SCCA, the Sports Car Club of America, with the runoffs and things like that, they would regularly beat cars with much bigger capacity engines. There was a real David and Goliath feel about those cars. Yeah, yeah that's true. Um, they did race them in the UK in the 70s. Mm. In fact, when I was driving MGs in, in one or two world championship races at Silverstone, I remember um, Super Samurai, mm. they ran a 240Z, mm. a 76 in the 1000Ks. Um, but they didn't appear much in Europe on the track, did they? No, that's right. That was much more the US, the US side, of, side of things. Yeah. Things changed, of course, uh, coming through the 80s and into the 90s. We saw Nissan involved in prototype racing, both sides of, of the Atlantic with IMSA and those 
scary 1500 horsepower um, electromotor machines and of course having a crack at Le Mans and getting pretty close a couple of times as well and, and that kind of brings us up to date because Nissan have been a little bit quiet motorsport wise certainly outside of, of Japan we should say of course that in uh, the Japanese uh, GT 500 and 300 series they've always been com competing yeah. but with this new era of the Z car which was started by the 350 that we can see in front of us here now that has really given a new impetus and, and brought effectively the Nissan Z cars to a whole new audience yeah that's right I mean really up until this year with the the introduction of GT1 and the, and, and the Nissan GT1 cars uh RJN Motorsport have been the only Nis Nissan racing team in Europe for, mm. for more than 10 years. Mm. So it's been quite a, kind of lonely. <laughs> <laughs> nice, to ha nice to have some company now. And you guys have been competing with the, the 50 and now the 17. We'll talk in, in more depth about the 17 in a moment because that's a car that people can see uh, at Le Mans uh, for the Le Mans week. And um, we'll give you some details about that in a moment. But that car has really proved itself. Uh, uh, and again, I'm not sure how many of our listeners know, but the cars, although conceived and designed in Japan, are effectively honed, certainly in terms of their handling characteristics and their performance characteristics. They've, they've actually been brought up on the Nürburgring. Yeah, they, they, they have. Um... And you've raced them successfully, then? We have. I mean, with the 350, we, we were fortunate that um, Gary Thomas, who's a, a renowned engineer designer in motorsport, he was, for many years, he was Williams uh, designer, F1 designer. Uh, he, he was lent to me um, by Nismo uh, to help with the, our first... 350Z, which was a GT2 car, which, mm. looking back on it, was a massive step for us mm. to undertake from a, a, a basic road car to a GT2 car in one hit. But that was in 2004, mm. um, with the first race being 24 hours of Spa. Uh, you don't make things easy for yourself, Bob, do you? <laughs> no, no. It wasn't entirely my decision, but we went for it, and um, inevitably we didn't finish. But that car really did have great potential mm. but well, there was no funding for it really at all mm. um, we scratched and I know how to run a car on a low budget as mm. you know yeah. uh, but uh, we, we, we persevered with it and in British GT yeah we got the podiums mm. we never got a race win we should have won at Mondello but we were pipped by um, who, which Ferrari was it um, Cocody and uh, that would be uh, Ecos yeah, yeah. Uh, Anthony Ree, we were in, anyway, all ifs and buts. We never won a race with it in GT2. Which was a shame because the car, as you mentioned, even the base car, uh, you know, the when the car was introduced, the 350 was introduced, you know, people sort of raised an eyebrow about a, a manufacturer. We have a generation of people who forget that Nissan have been, have never really stopped building sports cars. The, the mighty GTR, of course, uh, the doyen of so many, of the gaming generation, has always been there or thereabouts and has been around. But, you know, when the 350 came along, there was one or two eyebrows raised that Nissan were getting back into the sports car game. And yet that car is such a great base car, isn't it? Oh, it's a fabulous. It was so underrated. So, as, as a road car, it was mm. absolutely superb. Um, 
those people that did venture to try it were, were, knew they could buy a sort of Porsche Performance for half the money, really. And you can't get that. The, the thing is, that, interestingly, people have held on to them because you don't see them coming up used very often. No, you don't. And what a super buy they are used if you can find one. <laughs> but... Uh, no, they, 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 that's the, the beauty, that's what made it possible to make a GT2 car um, from scratch, was that the, the basic car is so stiff, the chassis is mm. so stiff, it lent itself so, so well to, to the integral roll cage, um, that, that we, we immediately, within, well, eight months, we had a competitive GT2 car. But, of course, we couldn't keep it up, uh, and, and that's, why, that's why, in the end, we went, we went to GT4. And we'll finish off the story with GT4 and the new 370 uh, with Bob Neville in just a few moments' time. Radio Le Mans. So, Bob, we're talking about Nissan, Nissan in motorsport, and more specifically in sports car racing as we're uh, putting this together just uh, ahead of the Le Mans 24 hours. A special, uh, a very special race close to all of our hearts and a special effort from you guys because you're racing the GT4 car at Spa the previous weekend to Le Mans and then the race car is coming to Le Mans to be exhibited outside the GT Academy boutique I believe. Yeah that's the plan uh, so we hope they look after it on track pesky <laughs> <laughs> drivers you give them a lovely shiny yeah, car lovely shiny car and they, they bring it back anyway it's yeah we, we hope to it, this is a, a relatively new car, this uh, version Nismo 370Z GT4. Uh, this will really be uh, its second event. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we d- it's technically its third event because we did run it in the, in the Nürburgring 24-hour, but we didn't run it in GT4. So just for those people who are listening, I mean, we have enough trouble at Le Mans talking about the four classes, two GTs, one and two, and LMP, one and two. GT4... Uh, there's a GT3, presumably. Yes, there is. So there's a GT4. How highly developed, what can you do, what can't you do to a GT4 car? We're used to seeing GT2 as the bottom rung of the GT ladder. And those cars are, are, are pretty well developed nowadays. The likes of Porsche, Ferrari, Aston Martin, throwing a lot of development into those cars. It, it's, it's big business and it's big bucks or big euros. Yeah. So a GT4 car sort of... Logic would say is is not quite as highly developed as that. So what can you do to the car? Well, GT4 is slightly, slightly. It's worked out to be slightly um, unusual because I'm sure it was conceived by the Stefan Rattel organisation to be uh, a relatively low cost way of going GT racing, if there is such a thing. <laughs> uh, but but the very the very nature of the rules actually makes it a very technical. Um, category for, for someone like us who are car builders mm-hmm. um, because it says if the car has got ABS for example mm-hmm. if the car has got traction control for example then you should keep it right. and so in fact we are, we've developed a, a little GT4 car but it's got ABS it's got traction control wow. things that you can't have in, in, in GT2, GT2 for example yes. so technically speaking it's a hard nut to crack and what you're talking about here, the difference between traction control and ABS in a, in a, in a street car, in a road car, and what you need for the track, that's two completely two. different things. Because if nothing else, you're talking about a lighter car, possibly a more powerful car, certainly a car that runs on very different suspension and rubber. Yeah, you're talking about a lighter car, a car with more power, because you can have any engine modifications you wish to, 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 to fall in line with the balance of performance. Mm. 
i.e. to make a relatively low-cost car like the uh, Nissan 370Z competitive with the Maserati GT, yes. then you'd expect you to have to tune your engine. And, it, and indeed, we do tune the engine, or our engine builder, IES, does. So, yeah, but of course, the, the, the ABS we use is not the production ABS because that couldn't stand the rigours of, no. uh, of, of, of full G- GT racing. So, from that point of view, it, it is quite a technical car to actually build and race. And are you developing that in conjunction with the guys behind, you know, whoever the electronics company behind the, the, the street, the, the, the street or the, the race, the race uh, ABS system? No, we're not actually. We the, the the ABS system we use is is, is from another manufacturer because it's a, a kit that's already designed to go on other cars. Yeah. Um, but do you, I mean, but presumably you have to tune it to the, 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 yeah. the specifics of, of the uh, 370. We do. We tune it to, we, in conjunction with our um, software system, which is Pectel. We're talking about entry-level GT here, but we're talking about there's a lot of technology in there. Paul. There's a great deal of technology in there, but the end user, the, the, the idea is that someone can come and buy a car and, 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 and go and race it. Mm. And that is the case. Uh, but in the case of our opposition... Uh, who make a lot of GT4 cars, I think they've discovered that it's not easy for a guy to just go and buy a car and then go to Europe and race it and be competitive. Mm. Because there are already... Well, not, let's not beat about the bush. I'm talking about Aston Martin. There are already favoured teams mm. from Aston Martin who are getting the, the, the development parts and mm. the... Um, ah, so you mean that there's equality, but some teams are more equal than others? Others, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was ever thus, we should say, in, in forms of motorsport. And balance of performance are dirty words uh, in, in, some, in some quarters. And it's always, you know, I, I always think it's difficult for them, and far be it from me ever to defend any of the rules makers, but it's difficult for them to be uh, ahead of the game because the guys at the other end, the engineers, the designers, are always going to be ones. It's it's your turn gamekeeper thing, yeah, isn't it? That's that, that's it, I suppose. But at, at any meeting, the FIA can turn to a, a well-known driver, say Jean-Marc Gounon or uh, Kurt Mollikens, mm-hmm. to name two, uh, and say, right, would you mind? This guy's going to drive in free practice, and he's going to go as quick as he can. And if he if he goes substantially quicker than than, than you, you than you are doing at that moment in time, then they they are at liberty to to, to give you lead even between sessions. Really? Yeah. Is there not an argument there though, Bob? And, and this was brought up as uh, with one of our listeners to Midweek Motorsport. Actually, I thought it was a great point that um, particularly at the start of the season, you have a car that is kind of there or thereabouts, but is a bit edgy. And you put somebody in it, even a good driver, and he drives it pretty well. But by the time you get half, three quarters further through the season, the car might be less edgy and therefore is just a little bit quicker. Yeah, I mean, in the case of... I presume you're developing and, and, and learning all the way through the year like you would in any other form of motorsport. Nothing stops just because it's the start of the season. No, that's exactly it. I mean, we find ourselves in the very situation you just mentioned because with the Nissan 350Z, we built it into a race winner, uh, and I, I think I'm correct in saying n- no other car has won as many GT4 races as our 350Z. Well, um, with 370Z, it's a although it's a very similar car. There well, it are, looks similar. It looks, it looks similar, but it, there are many, many differences. And uh, it's for us, it's a new car, and we're learning about it all the time, especially as we're using the um, version Nismo car. So. Uh, which has got a, a slightly bigger engine, 3.8 litre. So all, all in all, our car so it's is... It's almost a 380 then. 
It's almost a, it is a, it is it is almost a 380. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me a little about the the car is uh, is racing at Spa, as we said. It's going to be at Le Mans, fingers crossed. Um, so tell me a little bit about this this three fifth uh, this three seventy Z. Let me get it right, the Nismo version of it, and and the car that people will be able to see at Le Mans this week. It, it, we should make the point in a in a in a time actually when most replacement cars are bigger and longer and heavier and have more kit on them and are, are all a bit sort of more like I am round the middle. Nissan have gone completely the other way with the the the, the new car because the three fifty are very very. Uh, good sports cars we've mentioned. The 370, shorter, wider, squatter, lighter, and more powerful. And that, that's, that's an unusual thing for a manufacturer to do. It's produced a different platform, but nevertheless, a very interesting one. Yeah, we, we're lucky that it's equally, the chassis is equally stiff, the production chassis, to, to, uh, to form the basis of the, of the race car. And, and the road car's got some beautiful things on it. I mean, if you just, uh, I, know, I know this is radio, not TV, but I mean, all, all this is aluminium. So that's uh, the door skins. The door skins, yeah, the, 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 the bonnet. Uh, and that's standard as you would buy the car? Yeah, straight uh, as from wow. the showroom. Uh, it makes our life easy. Yeah. Uh, we, we, you know, we don't have to get carbon doors made because... Mm-hmm. Aluminium. Beautiful aluminium, yeah. yeah. So, you know... They're not going to rust either, do you, listener? <laughs> no. So they, they've helped us uh, uh, for the platform. But, of course, the handling of the car is, 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 is different. And, you know, we thought that we'd put the same dampers and spring settings on as we, we, we've learnt with 350. And we're learning that they're not, not the same. Shorter wheelbase, of course, which yeah. is going to tend to make the car slightly more nervous. That said, some drivers like it that way. Drivers like the car to be a little bit on edge, don't they? They do. They do. Uh, we, when we first we did a VLN race uh, with it with the the GT4 car early in the year, and Michael Crum and Alex Buncombe, two very mm-hmm. fast drivers, both felt the car was was nervous on the Nordschleife. Uh, <laughs> that, in fairness, a lot of cars are nervous on the Nordschleife. A lot of passengers are as well. <laughs> <laughs> to such a degree that when we came to do the 24-hour race, we decided to run with wings and splitters. And, and, and car looked phenomenal as well at the 24 hours. It really suited that bigger aero package. But of course, that's not as it as it will see it this week at Le Mans, and not how it raced at Spa. No, that's right. And, but because we, we do find that on traditional circuits, it's not feeling so nervous. It's, yeah. it's feeling it's feeling okay. Um, yeah, the Norse life is something else, isn't it? So oh, it's it's a breed apart, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So uh, we did mention though, and it's the, it's the same for the three seventy as it was for the three fifty. The the road car was refined; its its suspension uh, and performance refined on the Norse life. And Nissan are not one of the Johnny Come Latelys. They've used the Norse life for many many years in refining their sports cars. Yeah, it's always been central to their. Their whole ethos, and, and the Japanese engineers in particular love the Nurburgring. Mm. Uh, they realise they, they realise it's such a challenge, and the the suspension and handling of, of many production Nissans has been honed on on that on that challenging circuit. Now we've got Nissan represented here with the pit lane team at Radio Le Mans this week with your GT4 car at Le Mans, and you've had a dabble back in the day with uh, with with GT2. There's a new set of prototype regulations. It strikes me that a, a little V6, around about four litres, um, might not be a, a bad thing. Now, I know you don't speak for Nissan, but there is a massive um, following for the 24 Hours of Le Mans in Japan, and Nissan have got some unfinished business there. They have. I think 
it's probably okay for me to say that the Nissan have been slightly afraid of going back to Le Mans um, without without a real chance of winning it, mm. um, and that that's always a difficult thing. But well, that, I think that's put a lot of people, a lot of manufacturers off, because the Audi and you know Audi domination, then Peugeot v Audi and, and diesel, and diesel's not everybody's marketing ploy at the moment, and so it's bound to have put some people off. I can understand that. Yeah, yeah, but if if on the other hand, you know, a program could be sanctioned for customer-based project or um, certain teams who were able to race a customer spec car which they've done some development on themselves maybe mm. then there's no reason why a gt2 370z couldn't appear Ooh, he or, said <laughs> he said <laughs> wouldn't that be out of our street john yeah <laughs> <laughs> and and if i look over there there might be some drawings just si- sitting waiting in the meantime gt4 with the 370z now spa was at the weekend where's the next time that we're going to be able to see the, the GT4 version running? Well, the next time we run concurrently back with GT1, which is Paul Ricard. Ah, right. Yeah. A very quick circuit, of course. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that could suit one or two of our competitors slightly more, but I think the car could be quite good at Spa. Mm-hmm. Uh, we won there last year with the 350. Mm. Um, everyone's moved on, but we'll see. And... There's a Spa 24 Hours as well. Can you tell us anything about that? Yeah, I can say that we're very, very, well, 99% certain we're doing it. Excellent. Um, just one or two small things to, to, to sort out, but, yeah, we're, we're looking forward to doing that. So, as, as far as the racing history of Nissan's concerned, in this, the 40th year of the Nissan Z cars, we're in good hands and it's still going forward. Yeah, I think I hope so. Yeah. Um, well, thanks very much. Thanks for seeing us, uh, showing us around the... the uh, premises here. Good to see you. Good to see so many good looking cars in here as well. Yeah, thanks so much John. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. For more, go to www.radiolamont.com Radio Show Limited. We talk to the world.